to put your horse um, between a cow and, and, a, and a herd of cattle and, and let them go to work, the natural ability in them is just mind-blowing sometimes. All the falls ever did, because I never had a very serious fall, it just made me angry, it just made me want to do better. For me, I love the journey. I, I really love the journey. I love taking lessons. I love learning. Um, and I just, just want to continue doing that as long as I possibly can. Hello, everyone. Welcome to Power Up Women, a multi-generational conversation about leadership, power, gender, and social justice through a female lens. I'm Ann Doyle. Topic today is all about one of my passions horses. Were you a horse crazy little girl? I certainly was. When my parents took their brood of little Doyles to fairs, I never had any interest in the roller coaster or octopus. The only rides I cared about were on the back of a pony. And when I ran out of tickets, my parents always knew they would find me just hanging out with the ponies until it was time to go home. Some horse crazy little girls are lucky enough to find ways to make sure they always have horses in their lives. As adult women, you will find them competing in horse shows or breeding beautiful foals and socializing young colts or working as trainers, teaching others how to care for and ride horses and even happily cleaning stalls. There are as many different ways to enjoy and learn from these spectacular spirits as there are breeds of horses to talk about all of this, I have invited three outstanding horsewomen, Michelle Conrad, Sarah Mosey, and Caroline Berg to be my guests. They are not only from three different generations, they are experts in three very different riding disciplines, dressage, Western performance, and hunter jumper. Welcome, Michelle, Sarah, and Caroline. There's so much to talk about, so here's how we're going to do this. First, I'd like our listeners to get to know a little bit about each of you and your personal horse journey, as well as your style of riding. And then we're going to spend the second half of our time talking as a group. So, Michelle, we're going to start with you. Michelle Conrad grew up riding what is called saddle seat, and I'll let her explain that. As a young adult, she went to the university, earned her MBA, and had a very successful career. When she decided to stop working to spend more time with her husband and daughter, Michelle revisited her childhood passion for horses. Now she owns three dressage horses, trains four days a week with a professional, and competes regionally and nationally as an adult amateur through Intermediate Two. Michelle and I train at the same top-line dressage barn, but she is a much more accomplished rider than I am. How would you describe dressage for listeners who may have never even seen it or, or really just think, as I once did a long time ago, that that's boring because it's a lot harder to understand than, let's say, watching a horse fly over a fence or, or, or cut a cow out of, out of a herd of cattle. I guess I would describe dressage. A lot of people say you're you're dancing with your horse. They're very prescribed movements that are held against a, a benchmark or a standard. And each movement that you perform in a test um, is rated against that benchmark. So uh, 10 obviously being the best, you 
I don't know that you see tens, but, and, you know, down to a zero if you don't perform the movement. But we're given an exact test. We perform it individually in the ring for a judge, sometimes more than one judge, depending on the competition, and then receive our scores and comments accordingly. So for someone who's never really watched that, I mean, what would you say for them to start watching? I would start with watching kind of the Olympics, the Olympic riders who perform dressage. I think they're, you know, that's the best standard you're going to see. And obviously those are horses that most of us will never even meet, let alone own. So obviously highly, highly talented horses, but that's, that's where you're going to see it. It looks the most effortless. It's the most beautiful. We have a lot of fun in dressage when we do what's called freestyles, which is a test to music and you're rated on the choreography and and how the music matches the horse's uh, personality and way of going. You know, and one of the things that people, many people who maybe don't know that much about horses don't understand is that you, horses are, are different kinds of athletes. I mean, they have different capabilities based on, you know, their bodies. And so tell us about the, your horses, let's just say. So my one horse is a retired dressage horse. He showed quite decently up the levels. He's Dutch. He was super calm soul, just a great schoolmaster. I bought him when he was 14. He had already shown a lot. He taught me a lot, never was afraid of anything, which was nice. And now I have Cadiz, who is a 15-year-old Dutch warm blood who is much hotter, uh, a lot, he has the capacity to do the upper level stuff, but he's, he's definitely a hot horse and, you know, has taken a while to build our confidence together as a team. And then I have a young horse who's six, who's a Hanoverian. She is probably kind of in between the two, you know, seems to have a lot of athletic ability. We're still developing, seems to have a good brain, but she still has some spice in her. What does that mean? He's a hot horse. So a hot horse is one that very sensitive to your aids. Feel, definitely feels and reacts to everything you're doing up there in the saddle, your legs, your your seat, all of that. And then how they respond to the outside environment. Cadiz is very spooky. Lots of little things will kind of make him jump or, or spook. I always say he's like a person who has watched the same horror flick 20 times. He knows exactly <laughs> what's coming and he still gets scared at the same parts. You know, it's just him you know, just on, the, on edge quite a bit, but loves to work. He'd work forever. The harder the harder the movements we ask him to do, I think the the happier he is. He really likes to be engaged in doing stuff like that. And I know that you started in saddle seat and I know nothing about that. Generally you're in class group classes where you ride ride around the arena all together and you perform the same gates at the same time. So for the most part, walk, trot, canter. And the judge is looking at each of the horses and, and comparing those three gates and kind of placing them based on who they think has the best gait. And I grew up doing that and loved it. And then just after my college years, when I started, you know, taking a break for college and getting back into horses, the people around me kind of introduced me to dressage and I just fell in love. What is it you love about dressage? I love the precision. I love this. You're always striving to get better. You're never done. There's always ways to improve both yourself and the horse and their, your communication with the horse. And I, ju- I just love that, the precision part of it. You're competing uh, at a pretty sophisticated high level. What are, what's your riding goals at this point? So, I mean, my goal is to really compete at Grand Prix level, which is the highest for an amateur in dressage. You know, I love your story about 
you know, getting back into riding in, in a very at a high level, you know, after a long career, because that's kind of a lot of my story, too. What's your advice to maybe women who um, are older and just always loved horses, but just say, gosh, maybe think they're too old to get back into riding? I think it's important for women to stay active. And if this is something that keeps you physically moving and working, I, I think it's a great way to keep in shape and motivate yourself to do so. I don't like to run. There's a lot of exercise I don't like, but if you tell me something that I do would help improve my riding, I'm all for it. And, and riding is a physical activity. Plus, I think you surround yourself with other women and, and get a great support system as a bonus. Yeah, no question about that. I mean, real riding is not about being a passenger on a horse. It, it's right. about driving a race car. It's a great motivator and it's better than, you know, sitting around wondering what if. And you can always start start with a safe horse. Start with a trainer that makes you feel safe and a barn that's going to take care of you so that you don't get hurt, you know, if you haven't done it before. But I think if you start out with the right group of people and the right, the right horses, I think anybody can do it at any age. So let's move now to the world of Western performance riding. And if you've watched the Netflix series Yellowstone with all of those fabulous quarter horses, you have a taste of Sarah Mosey's world. She is the owner and operator of Cutting Edge Performance Horses in Metamora, Michigan. Sarah describes herself as a wife, mother, and horse enthusiast. She is also a trainer and breeder of quarter horses and earned her degree from Michigan State University in equine management and reproduction. I was lucky enough to discover Sarah several months ago and talked her into helping me expand my riding skills on the back of her beautiful young gelding, Woodrow. Hello, thank you so much for having me. I know that you are a third generation horsewoman. Take us back to your childhood about how it was that you first got into, into horses. Oh gosh, wow, that's going back a ways. Just talking about all this made me really start thinking back. And I realized this year it's been a 30 year journey. So this is my 30th year with horses. So I got my first horse when I was nine years old. My mom bought us just a grade mare and showed up at home uh, with it one day and literally tied it to a tire in our backyard. <laughs> so <laughs> come a long ways from that first horse when I was nine years old. <laughs> Did you say your grandmother and your mother both were horsewomen? Yes. Yep. So my grandmother and my mom actually grew up riding together as well. I did not have the pleasure to ride with my grandmother as she had dementia and took a turn very early on with that. But my mom and I and my sister rode hours and hours and hours as kids. Everything I learned from a very early age, I learned from my mom. And I just, you know, she put such a great foundation on me and just a, a great horsewoman herself. Your discipline now is Western performance, but I believe also you've done a lot of cutting and, and then describe that. Right. Yeah. So the Western performance deals a lot mainly with the reining, which is very similar to the dressage. We say it's the Western version of the dressage. It's very precise movements that the judges are looking for. You're, you're judged on a, a scale similar to dressage and, and you mark scores based on how well you perform each movement and all those move movements are based on 
things your horses would do um, to be performing for a Western ranch type lifestyle, um, moving cattle and, and cutting and, and just being a usable horse. So that's one of the reasons I really like it because these things are, um, they can apply them to a job uh, and getting something done. And yeah, I do have a bit of a, a background in the cutting as well, which is another huge passion of mine. I'm kind of split right now between the reining and the cutting. I have one horse that I do more reining with, and then I have one that I do, I'm getting ready to do um, more cutting with a two-year-old prospect. So the cutting is just a thrill ride, really, when you get into it to, to put your horse between a cow and, and, a, and a herd of cattle and, and let them go to work. The natural ability in them is just mind-blowing sometimes. Anybody who has watched that, you have no idea what it takes to sit a cutting horse that moves so <laughs> fast in just the yes. blink of an eye. I mean, you just got to be like rubber, just going with right. that horse. Yeah, it's kind of like a roller coaster ride. <laughs> you have, I think, 18 horses at your house. Is that right? I mean, you have a beautiful facility, but right at your home and you're in charge. That's a lot of work. Right. Yeah. I think finally we're down to about 13 right now, but yes, we have been up to 18 and it is, it's a lot of work. <laughs> it's uh, I was breeding and having, you know, got some babies going and, and started that. But yeah, it's a lot of work when you get into that number of horses and devoting the time that each individual one needs, you know, to be worked with and trained and, and just bring their natural talent and ability out of them. You know, and people see these pictures of these adorable young foals and they think they're so cute, but boy, very quickly, those adorable <laughs> little foals can turn into baby monsters unless Absolutely. you know what you're doing. Uh, what's the challenge of that? It, it, because you not only breed these horses, but but you're you're starting them as well. Right. Yeah. And that's really another huge passion of mine. I love to breed and raise the babies. I, my my goal is always to produce something better than the last generation, a little more athletic, a little better temperament, really quick learners. So you know, picking the right horses to breed and then even following through with the training and the handling. I mean, we start from day one. We imprint our foals here. We love to do it. It puts a great start, a great handle on our babies. Everything is done very humanely. And, um, you know, we've had huge, huge compliments from a lot of other horse professionals, farriers, vets and stuff that said, boy, well, you're doing something right because we don't handle very many babies that are like this. You have to explain that to people who don't understand. You use two words there that I want you to explain. One is you imprint your falls. Explain that. And also they have a real nice handle on them. Sure. So imprinting is a process right after they're born where you actually go in and you present a lot of different stimuli um, to the baby. So we do ours in three sessions. We do it at 12 hours, 24 hours, and 36 hours old. And we go in and actually physically lay the baby down, obviously very humanely and calmly. And then we will present all the brushes. We'll brush the baby while it's laying down. We'll handle it. We'll, we'll put our fingers, you know, maybe in its ears and rub its legs. And, and this 
portion of the baby's uh, life, this very early hours in their life are when they learn and they're most impressionable on what things are acceptable and what things are not. So that's why we do these things. You know, you, you may have to clean your horse's ears. You know, we might put our fingers in their mouths, you know, because eventually you're going to have to deworm them. So these are all things we're just getting that baby used to when they're most imp impressionable. And it just makes the training process so much easier. The older they get, the bigger they get, and the stronger they get. They're not fearful of those things. We'll run things like plastic bags up and down their body, on their legs. We might get the clippers out, obviously not clipping any hair, but running them with the running motor. Just things like that to um, kind of desensitize the horse so that they're not fearful of those things as they get older. As far as a good handle, that's, that's what a lot of that stuff does. It makes them easy to handle and be around and, and train. It makes just for a quieter, a little bit better de demeanor type horse as they get older. What are your goals at this point, Sarah, in terms of just having horses in your life? Right. So I've got two horses right now. The, um, the one that you introduced, Woodrow, that you get to ride. He's my reigning horse. I'm, I'm looking to hopefully get back in the show pen. I haven't been in the show pen for several years now. Um, kind of took a break from it. I'd like to get him going and get back in and get showing with him in the reigning world. And then I also have his daughter, which we bred and raised here, who is uh, a cutting prospect, who has got some phenomenal athletic ability that I really would like to get her into the cutting pen and then be able to dabble in both of those show worlds and, and see how far they'll take me. So I don't have huge goals. I, I'm a, a wife and mother first, but I like to still kind of play in my childhood dreams, like you might say. That's fantastic. Well, now let's move to the exciting world of those horses flying over those big fences. Caroline Berg is a 4.0 student at the College of Charleston, where she is a member of their NCAA Division I equestrian team. She competed in hunter-jumper equitation as a junior on a national level. She went undefeated in the regular season in the intermediate fences and ended up first at zones and helped her team to finish reserve champion and make it to the nationals, where they ended up fifth overall. Congratulations, Caroline. You've had quite a season there. Thank you. It was really a dream come true for sure. You know, your mother and I have ridden together and she and I go way back. So I have followed your riding career for years. How old were you when you started riding? I was about six and I actually started on Tennessee walkers in the saddle seat profession. I rode very casually, maybe three times a month if I was lucky. Until um, I was about 10, then I switched over into the hunter jumper world. And around 2019 is when I began competing on a national level. Okay, so, so between I started into hunter jumper three times a week to competing on the national level, there's a big jump in there. And right. uh, there's a lot of hours, a lot of training. Give us a sense of what that was like for you as a young girl and going to school and, and how did you manage to get to the level you're at at such a young age? So, like I said, before 2019, I wasn't really a place in both like my riding and in school where I really had the opportunity to move to a more competitive barn, that type of thing. 
so I was mostly on like the, I was competing at the three foot level, maybe going to three to five horse shows a year, like very little showing experience. But then I fell in love with a couple riding programs, a couple schools, and I really wanted to ride for a team. So then my parents being the most amazing supportive people they are, moved me to Fox Meadow Farm in Temperance, Michigan. So that's about an hour away from where I live and about 30 minutes from where I go to school. And so I was driving down there three to five times a week to ride. And and then I went with them starting 2019 competing. So it was a very big jump and a lot of effort. It really did take a whole group of people to make it possible. But in reality, it was truly the best decision we could make. But it also took some incredible horses. I've had some fantastic horses in my life. Probably the most impactful would be a horse I got in 2018. I brought him with me. He was a bit of a trouble horse. He had some pretty naughty moves in there. And so we took him with us in 2019 to Fox Meadow. And they really did some fantastic work with him. And we ended up getting him into the three foot three equitation and junior hunters until unfortunately he suffered an injury and we had to put him down in 2020, which that was very heartbreaking. But then I was very fortunate to lease one of the most amazing schoolmaster international derby horse. So he used to compete at the four foot six height. Then he did moved me into what we call the big equitation. So that's three, six and above. So he took me to my first actual equitation finals competitively. And even though it was the year of COVID in 2020, so my showing did get cut almost in half, we were able to end up a reserve champion at McClay Regionals in Lexington, Kentucky at the Horse Park. So that was truly a dream come true. That has to put incredible pressure on you. I mean, equitation, I believe, is not just the horse, what the horse is doing, but it's also judging the rider. Is that correct? Right. So there's in the hunter jumper world, you technically have three disciplines within it, right? You have your hunters, your jumpers, and then your equitation. So kind of like background on that and how those three disciplines came about, like the hunters were inspired by a fox hunting actually. So even though right now it's probably unrecognizable, the way it's stylistically changed, it originally was how well can the horse go evenly through a longer course and just overall consistency, which is what you'd want to see out fox hunting. And then your jumpers is what you see in the Olympics, right? So those are how fast you can go, how high you can jump. Can you leave the jumps clear? That's personally my favorite. It's very, it's very fun. But then your equitation was designed to help move people from the hunter world to the jumper world. So it's the more disciplined courses, more difficult courses, typically at a slower pace. So it's judged on the rider's execution of the questions within the course. And it's basically completely judged on the rider's capabilities on course. But obviously, it is a team sport between you and the horse. So having a horse that has all the movements that is very adjustable. We say it has the buttons that you need to press really does help out in being successful. Share with us a little bit about that pressure though, that that puts on you as a girl. It's a lot of hard work that goes into it. A lot of early hours, long days. It's very physically exhausting. It's mentally draining because you're constantly having to analyze every step between the jumps, making sure you can do whatever the last person did, but better. 
And so it was a lot of pressure and, you know, juggling academics and that type of thing is um, in high school, wanting to make sure I do well as I move into college. That was, it was a lot of pressure, but I felt my love for the sport and the feeling when you do do well and you finally get that win is like, it trumps everything. Well, let's bring everybody together now and, and just kick around a few questions I want to ask about really experiences I know that you all share. The first thing I want to ask you about is there is no way that any of you have gotten to the level that you have without falling off a lot of horses. So would you share with me, how do you get over that? I can jump in there and uh, you and I have discussed my big injury that really rocked my world, which was several years ago now um, on a training horse when I was thrown into an arena wall and have no recollection of the incident, wound up in the hospital. I didn't lose consciousness, but I just had, I have memory loss from it. So that was, that was a big deal for me. My kids were still pretty little and that was a real turning point in what I did. I was a full-time trainer at that time with a barn full of client horses. And it really made me kind of step back and say, what am I doing? Why am I doing it? Because I want to be here for my kids. I don't, don't definitely don't want to get killed doing this. So you know, that is scary. It's hard to come back from that. And there was a lot of physical injury and recovery that had to be done that I had to overcome. But I think when the love and the passion is really there in your heart, you know, it's one of those things you just fight for it then, you know, you know, it's not something that you can necessarily live without. You just got to overcome that fear. So it is difficult, but it's definitely doable at the same time. Carolyn, I have seen Facebook videos that your mom has posted of you with fabulous rounds, but also a couple of falls. And I, I can hear her swearing on the video. How about you? <laughs> how, how do you how do you get back on after a fall? I think it's it is a difficult, it's definitely a mental game. I honestly think the worst experience I've had with a fall, it was not my fall. So I was at I was there on a weekend at a barn and the trainer at the barn ended up having an accident and the horse landed on top of her and I was the only other person in the barn. So I had to call 911. I had to do all of that. And it was, that was probably the worst experience I've had. And that was probably the most shaking, but at the same time, like these are accidents, like they are not going to happen every time you get on a horse. And all you can do is give your horse the best information you can provide, give them the most accurate decision you can make. And just, Mostly just if you can support your horse, you can get through most of it. And so that's kind of where my mentality has come. All the falls ever did because I never had a very serious fall. It just made me angry. It just made me want to do better. I constantly want to improve. And a fall just shows you where you're weak, unless obviously it's an accident or something like that. And Michelle, you talk about riding hot horses that spook. And I mean, you never know what's going to happen. I mean, you have to be ready for that. Isn't that right? Yeah, you have to be ready, but you also have to ride. You can't ride afraid. And I think that's been something as I've aged that's been tough. I think as you age, you you fear the bad results or catastrophic results more than I did when I was younger. I think you just realize the, the complications, you know, what really can happen. And 
two falls from specifically from the one hotter horse Cadiz that I can think of. One, I was at a show. We weren't in the ring. We were just schooling, but fell off. It took me months, to be honest, to really conquer the fear. I think for months, anytime my trainer would say, you know, we're going to pick up the cannery. It was like, oh gosh, I, I don't know if I want to, you know, but we did get through that with her support and everybody's support and just knowing how much to push when it was safe to push but also, you know, making sure that we were being smart as well. And then the second time I fell off right before I was supposed to go in the ring. And uh, it just was a fluke. Like he spooked. I, we were fine. Like I thought I had his attention. We were warming up. Great. Everything was good. Getting ready to go in. And he saw something I wasn't ready for and spun and I got pitched off, but he went charging out of the ring and it's kind of as a ride. My, I don't want to assume for other people, my greatest fear is that my horse runs and then gets hurt as he's um, afraid, running away, afraid, you know, or hurt someone else or causes someone else to fall off because their horse spooks at my horse kind of thing. And, but my barn mates, you know, he ran right to them when he saw him and I got back on and we went in and did our test. And it's probably one of the most memorable tests because the judge literally wrote rider appears to have one foot on the gas and one foot on the brake at all times. And it was like, you betcha I do. <laughs> you can't let him get back off. He's going to spook more, but conquering that and getting back on and doing the test was probably one of the best things I was able to do. And if you're not hurt, you have the opportunity to do that. It is challenging. That's one of the things I also want to ask each of you, because uh, I have never boarded at a barn, but I have heard an awful lot of stories about barn drama. And Mm -hmm. what would you share about the importance of really being, having a supportive sisterhood or a, a supportive other barn mates and other people to support your riding? I think it's huge. I'm currently in a barn where, you know, it it kind of comes from the leadership. The trainer doesn't start drama, doesn't support drama, doesn't encourage it. And I am just with such a supportive group. You know, when you show, when you ride, you're putting your vulnerabilities out there and, and all your barn mates know those vulnerabilities. They're with you for your highs and lows, a hurt horse, a hurt rider, you know, any, her budget. I mean, any, any of those things, you know, we've kind of seen it all. And it's just so nice to have people who really are rooting for you. Several of us in the barn are at the same level, but we all want each other to do as best as we can possibly do. It's not a finite sport. There's no equation for it, right? Your horse can have a bad day. You can have a bad day. The wind can be blowing more for one people's test than another. I mean, you just, it, it, there's so many variables. It, it, it's just awesome when you have that support and you can be healthy competitors. Do you feel you're part of that kind of support on your team, Caroline? Oh, for sure. We have the most amazing group of girls like we could ever ask for. And, you know, as a junior growing up, like having a supportive system at your barn is so important because it is like we've said, it's a mental game. There are highs and lows. You can, I've come out of the ring sobbing, crying before it's, you know, it happens. And to have people who, you know, will support you through that, like, you know, trainers will tell you to toughen up, but then friends will hug you when you get off like that kind of thing. Like it's a good balance. You need, you need someone to push you and someone to kind of hold your hand on the way as well. Sarah, where do you get support? Well, yeah, I mean, I think it's kind of a general thing in the in any of the equine sports. I mean, we're kind of our own family, right, in the horse world. But especially in the Western world, I mean, I've been, I started out as a kid showing and I had so many 
older people that had been in the show ring that, you know, that weren't even necessarily trainers of mine. They were fellow competitors that would help you out. They would give you tips. They would, you know, stop you if they see something wrong or, you know, needed different tack or equipment. I mean, the support is always a huge, huge part of it. You've got to have that. I mean, we're, we're all doing this because we love it, right? We all want to have fun doing it. And, you know, if we're fighting, like, what, what fun is that? So not to say that there's not politics in it. I mean, yeah, I've had my fill of that at times and had to step away. But for the most part, it's kind of like a big family. You know, we're all out there to enjoy our horses and do the best that we can possibly do with them. Does anybody have a question you'd, you'd like to put out there? This is something that I know Ann and I talked about a little. In the equitation especially, there is a severe issue with body image for young girls. Like there is a quote from a George Morris book that is no longer used for obvious reasons that the best exercise an equitation rider can go on is a diet. And like, yeah, I was lucky enough to have trainers who knew that riding correctly means proper nutrition. It means gaining muscle. It means working out. It's an exercise. So I was lucky enough to not have to experience that. But like there is this very toxic idea of like an equitation diet, which is essentially not eating on show days, which is wildly dangerous and not at all supported by anyone in my life. But I was just wondering, you know, in these other disciplines, like, is there any sort of situation like that? You know, is there a typical body standard or is there any sort of toxicity around body image that you guys have experienced? I can pick up on that for the Western world. We're a bit more laid back we're all a lot of cowboys and cowgirls. And I'll tell you what, we like our food. <laughs> Not to say that, <laughs> you know, we don't care about how we look and, you know, we want to be good athletes along with our horse. I don't see that much really, honestly, in the Western disciplines. Now I'm not in like Western pleasure, which is a completely different type of showing. And that may be a completely different world and they, there may be more of it than that. But as far as the performance with the reining and the cutting, um, I've never experienced anything like that. And I'm, I'm so grateful because I think that would just really take a lot out of the discipline. It, it, that to me is disheartening. <laughs> yeah. And I could say, I, I don't want to speak too much about Saddlesey because it's been so long since I've been in that world, but I know when I was, I was a preteen teenager and there was quite a bit of pressure surrounding how you looked in your saddle suit, including like your develop, you know, female development, not showing too much of that because it just didn't look good to have things bouncing around, I guess I'll say, but I don't know that I've felt it, but I've been in the dressage as a, I don't, I haven't felt pressure from other people, but I've always been in dressage as an adult. I really appreciate hearing that from you because I think one of my questions I was going to ask you is how can we help the younger generations feel more secure in riding any, any discipline in your barn in, in your, in anything. And I think hearing that makes me think, okay, we have to make sure we really you know, concentrate on skill, not on, on size or figure. I think the best thing anyone can do for a rider who wants to be serious is to give them that support as well. You know, like, you know, kids do deserve to know how to do things the right way. The first time being a good horse person, right. Being a good horseman is the first step. I think for 
the ways in which we can support junior riders because that really does trickle into everything else. Well, and I think, you know, having safe environments where kids don't go to shows and hear a bunch of people talking about other people, everybody's got their personal struggles and it took something for everybody to get there. So I think that support, if kids see that, hopefully that helps them feel like it's a safe place. It's a good place. It's an encouraging place. And one thing I would add to that is supporting older riders too, because one of the things that I think is fantastic about dressage in particular is that you say a lot of older women, women in in my age group, you know, out there, you know, still riding. And I like to say, you know, I'm going to keep on riding as long as I can balance on a horse. Well, I'm going to give each of you uh, one last word here. And what I'd like to, to ask you is, either something that horses have taught you or something that you'd like to share for people to understand about horses? Honestly, for me, the biggest thing that horses have taught me is patience. Um, Not one of my strongest suits in life, but boy, they have taught me so much in just slowing down, waiting, thinking about situations and not just jumping the gun. I mean, you have to think through different situations and, and be patient. Caroline? I've said it a couple of times through this, but I really think the biggest thing I've learned from horses and just from riding in general is the discipline that it's taught me. Like it's taught me to be disciplined in my schoolwork. It's taught me to be disciplined in every aspect of my life. Like I know that hard work gets you where you want to be because I've, you know, experienced it firsthand. And, you know, these horses, they're so delicate. There's all so different. Like it does require, you know, accuracy and basically everything you're doing. And Michelle. To get into riding with any serious intent, I think you have to approach it as a journey of both perseverance, discipline, patience, you know, all of it. It's not an overnight thing. It's like any sport where you train and train and train. And I really love the journey. I love taking lessons. I love learning. And I just, just want to continue doing that as long as I possibly can. And I will add that it also takes great courage, particularly to, to ride at the level that each of you do and each one of you in a different way is an inspiration to me. So thank you, dressage riders, Michelle Conrad, Western performance trainer and rider, Sarah Mosey, and hunter jumper college competitor, Caroline Berg, for sharing your knowledge, your love, and a bit about your horse journey with us. I wish you all happy trails and joyful and very safe, fun riding. Now let's all go power up. Thanks for joining us at Power Up Women. We hope you'll keep listening. And if you can spare a couple of minutes, please rate us on Google, Apple, or your favorite podcast platform, because it really helps other aspiring women to find this podcast with its over 100 episodes for you to choose from. And I'd love to hear your questions or your ideas for future podcasts. You can reach me through my website and at andoilleadership.com. And remember, when one woman rises, we all rise. Make sure you reach back and lift others as you climb. I'm Ann Doyle. <laughs>